Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, we're certainly very, very proud of all those young gentlemen and ladies and look forward to what God's going to do in and through them. And God bless you, parents. Uh, it's, it's It's a wonder and a wonderful experience. Uh, also, just remind you again about relief. You, if you don't have, you can give online if you want to give, if it's uh, not something you can do today, and we'll be also sharing that next week. And again, journey groups, don't forget that. You saw Pause of Grace outside, Exploring Christianity, and many others. Listen, today we're turning to what I think is, is one of the most uh, challenging topics uh, that faces our, our, our land today um, and in Christianity. How did we get here? You know, uh, how old is the earth and the universe? Did men live with dinosaurs? Did we evolve from slime? What about fossils? These are all common, challenging questions that not only we and our kids may ask, but, but so do people who are trying to figure out if, whether or not belief in God even makes sense. We're in this series, Q&A, Questions and Apologetics, asking some of the tough questions that sometimes folks we know and care about are seeking and really wanting to trust Christ, and some of these things may be a real issue for them, may be a real issue for you. And so we want to kind of explore some of this, and as well, explore how you can do some more. And I'll tell you near the end some other options, some other materials that are available Apologetics, quite simply, is defending the faith from both attacks and misunderstandings. And our goal is to equip us to not only get some questions answered, but to be able to equip ourselves to continue to deal with those things. We will deal with those the rest of our days. Questions come up, sometimes new, whole new questions come up that when we were younger weren't even a part of the landscape of how we deal with it. Things like, for instance, cloning. For many of us when we were children, no one even conceived of that as a, as a, as a the, theological issue. And this morning, we're looking at issues revolving around evolution or creation. And, and yet, those are not just standalone science theology questions because they point to even bigger issues about the meaning of life, about morality, and a lot more. Yet interestingly, a lot of these questions are really tied to a, 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 an earlier question and simply is, how old is the earth? How old is the earth? And, and let me just say up front very clearly, this is a particularly contentious issue. And, and it's being played out in the courts, in state houses, schools, universities, churches, even homes. And there is, in fact, within Christianity, and I want to make that clear, within what I'm kind of calling kind of the main big picture of Christianity, not sex cults, not weirdos. I'm talking about those within the mainstream of Christianity. There is, in fact, a, a, a diversity of opinion. For those Christians who work in scientific fields, there's a lot at stake for one's respect and even sometimes job security. So I, I, I got to tell you, I mean, it, just as in previous weeks, I have I, I approached this with a lot of humility. I don't claim that what I share with you tells the whole story or has all the answers. Uh, it, this is this is a big topic. But what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you theories that have been used to explain how we got here and then look at what difference the, the, 
doctrine of creation ultimately makes. The doctrine of creation, just so we're kind of clear, affirms that God is the creator of all that there is and that he continues to sustain his creation so that it cannot exist apart from him. But there are a a number of theories about how that happened, many of them very Christian theories. Some of them have nothing to do with God. And so I've lumped these theories, if you will, into four views, recognizing that that there are whole books on each of these. And and we're only just skimming the surface. And and there are significant differences between the, the... all the views, and particularly those within Christianity, they, all three of these views are backed by reputable Christian scholars and scientists um, as they attempt to take the doctrine of creation seriously. And quite honestly, some proponents of some of these, some realms will disagree completely with others within the Christian community who see it a different way. I want to be very clear that it doesn't mean that everybody is hunky-dory about all this. It's a, it's a, it's a, a, a whole area fraught with landmines. And yet if we are to approach faith and believe that it is reasonable to believe, which the Bible makes clear it is, we've got to at least have a, an overview So, the first one is what is often called young earth creationism or scientific creationism or creation science. All those words, those phrases get used. And this has been the dominant understanding of creation until the 19th century and the one that most assume when we hear the word creationism. In this theory, Genesis, the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, accurately represents the facts surrounding creation that creation took place in six literal, successive, 24-hour days in the order in which it is represented in Genesis. It was only after Adam and Eve sinned and fell that sin entered the world, and therefore, suffering and death. So therefore, one of the realities of this is that there were no animal deaths before the fall. And Adam and Eve's diet consisted only of green plants and fruits prior to the fall. Later, a universal flood described in the story of Noah and the ark took place and water covered the entire planet using Old Testament genealogies. You know those things that you hate to read sometimes? That so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so and and those kinds of things? Well, young earth creationists take that to calculate the age of our planet and our universe to be only a few thousand years old. Dinosaurs and people walked the planet at the same time But dinosaurs are nowhere directly mentioned uh, in Genesis. They are perhaps alluded to in other places. Young earthers believe that the flood wiped out the dinosaurs who were not brought onto the ark and that the weight of the flood waters was the primary force in making fossils. Now, admittedly, even as you read the material by those within the young earth creation realm, many of them admit that there are those within their area that are very loose with the facts. But others have taken modern science seriously and believe there are credible reasons to believe in a young earth. Young earth creationists tend to place theology over science. And what I'm going to do with each of these is list a few criticisms advanced against the argument, regardless of whether or not that position actually accepts or buys into that criticism. Simply to say, here's what's, here are where the discussions are. A few discussions, a few Criticism facing young earth creationists include 
a wide variety of fossil records and many different types of sedimentary rock found as deep as 25,000 feet make it hard for one flood to account for it all. The apparent reliability of carbon dating and other scientific means for indicating an earth much older than several thousand years. And in order to account for a large universe and our ability to see light from stars more than several thousand light years away, both of which give the appearance of much greater age, either the speed of light had to change early in creation or the light was created in transit, if you will, to give a fictitious history or an illusion of an old universe. Now, moving to the second theory or approach or understanding. It is called Old Earth or Progressive Creationism or Day-Age Creationism. Old Earth Creationism believes Genesis accurately depicts how things came into being but envisions a very old Earth of billions of years and an even older universe. It maintains that God progressively intervened to create the large-scale differences that we see between various plants and animals, including us, human beings. Uh, it, it accepts, in fact, all of these accept to some degree adaption within a species. In other words, you start with one kind of dog, and through breeding over even a, ma a matter of generations, you can create a different breed of dog or a different kind of dog. But what it does not accept is that, for instance, you go from fish directly to dog. Uh, old earth creationists argue that while earth can, God can create everything in a few days or through purely natural processes over a long period of time, they say the biblical and scientific evidence seems to suggest God used some combination of supernatural intervention and providential guidance to construct the universe. The Bible doesn't explicitly tell us earth's age, but old earth creationists point to biblical hints that they believe suggest an earth much older than several thousand years. Psalm 90 verse 4, to you God a thousand years is like the passing of a day or like a few hours in the night is one scripture they look at. This form of creation, however, does not accept six sequential, literal, 24-hour days. Uh, scholars don't agree on exactly how to interpret the word translated as day in Genesis chapter 1. Old earth creationists have suggested at least three different ways to do that. In one approach, the days are not literally 24-hour days, but actually represent much longer periods of time, epochs of time. Others believe in literal days, but they are days then separated by long periods of time. Still, other belie others believe the days are a literary device rather than an actual chronological sequence. I know this is a lot of stuff, but it's important for you to get a picture of this. Old earth creationists argue that God has intervened throughout history to bring into existence life and particularly people, and that Adam and Eve were real people who experienced a real fall. Old earth creationists say that their approach is faithful both to the scripture and science, and because all truth is God's truth, they believe scripture and science should be in harmony. Of course, there are criticisms against criticisms of old earth creationism, Young earth creationists argue that old earth creationists do not take the biblical record seriously enough and give too much credence to science. Some suggest that if God created everything, why then did God have to intervene at various times in history? And it, it faces the requirement that pain, suffering, and death had to be a necessary part of God's creation prior to Adam and Eve's sin, at least for animals. 
So that's one, two, third one. Theistic evolution or evolving creation. And let me tell you, I'm going to be talking about evolution specifically in just a minute. The theistic evolution position argues that life evolved pretty much the way evolution suggested it did, but God chose to use evolution as his method of creating. Scholars such as Dr. Howard J. Van Til use a phrase, the fully gifted creation, to describe how they believe this occurred, that God gifted the creation with everything it needed to evolve and to become what he desires it to be. Proponents here argue that science should be allowed to do what it does best, Theology should be allowed to do what it does best. Now, theistic evolution differs from evolution in that it believes that God is directly involved, set all of creation in motion, equipped it with abilities it needed to develop the complex forms and abilities beyond what many believe is possible with evolution or even random chance. It seeks to eliminate either-or debates between creation and evolution, between theology and science. Uh, theistic evolution argues against old earth creation that for God to intervene at particular times in creation means he somehow didn't get it right the first time. Theistic revolution reads Genesis 1 as intentionally symbolic of God actually creating, but it does not hold that Genesis 1 tells how God created or that Adam and Eve were necessarily real people. This position places a heavier emphasis on science over theology. Now here are some of the criticisms that it does not take Scripture seriously enough and overemphasizes science, particularly evolution, that it does not allow for God to intervene in creation. It lacks empirical evidence that creation is, in fact, fully gifted. And they would argue it borders on deism, in which God created the universe, then steps back from it and lets it operate it on its own like a wind-up clock, versus a God who continues to sustain his creation like an electric clock. Three different approaches that within Christianity as a whole, there are, there are people who have strong beliefs in all three of those areas. The fourth is what we typically think of as evolution, as naturalistic or atheistic evolution. And this is probably the predominant scientific theory that's at work in our world today. There is nothing particularly Christian about this theory, and because of the way some use it, the whole approach often flies in the face of Christianity. It appeared in Charles Darwin's 1859 book, The Origin of Species. He proposed that all life forms originated from a few, maybe even one common ancestor through random mutation, adaptation, and survival of the fittest. The, that the first microorganism reproduced and its offspring would undergo numerous mutations over time. He asserted that these random mutations allowed organisms to adapt to changing environments so that the hardiest mutations survived. And given enough time, even billions of years and millions of mutations and adaptations, whole new and complex life forms would arise, go through that process, producing more variations and more families of life forms. It was his belief that this could account for all life including us. While Darwin's intent was to strictly speak on the evolution of life, the term evolution has come sometimes to be used to explain the existence of everything. In other words, not just plant and animal life, but this world, even our universe. Some followers of Darwin believe that evolution offers an explanation of life and existence with no need for God anywhere in the process. 
In fact, British biologist, atheist Richard Dawkins said that Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. But just as there are problems with the other three approaches to creation, there are significant problems with evolution, at least evolution without God, problems that some in the scientific community often seem to want to dismiss. First, lack of fossil evidence for the transitions between species of animals. If evolution is true, there ought to be transitions from one species to another. We know that, again, there's some degree of transition between some variations, such as breeds of dog. But what has not yet been found are adequate fossil remains of transitions from one species to another. Even Darwin conceded that the lack of these fossils is perhaps the most obvious and serious objection to his theory, though he was sure future discoveries would prove him right. But so far, they have not. Uh, What we do see is about, according to the Long Earth calculations about 570 million years ago, the sudden appearance of nearly all the animal phyla fully developed with no trace of evolutionary ancestors. Second problem with theistic evolution or, or atheistic evolution is the inability to explain the origin of life. Darwin and others presuppose that non living chemicals, if given the right amount of time and circumstances, could develop themselves into living matter. And that view certainly has gained widespread acceptance. But does the preponderance of scientific data itself support that view? Scientists in the early 20th century, 100 years ago, theorized about the environment needed to create life, and they did experiments uh, to create amino acids, the building blocks of life, and, and when they did, they assumed that proved it. The problem was that those early researchers chose conditions favorable for creating amino acids versus what it turns out were very different conditions that were on the face of the earth at the time they would have, they would have claimed they were created. In fact, the actual conditions on earth could not have yielded the same results. To create life requires the right amino acids linked together in the right order to make a protein molecule, and it takes maybe 200 protein molecules, each with the right function in the right place, and then the additional creation of DNA and RNA to get a living, typical living cell. Now, I, I'm, some of that, for me, maybe for you, goes like this, but, but here are some things that I can understand. Dr. Warren Bradley, a PhD from University of Texas, now at Baylor, said, if you took all the carbon in the universe and put it on the face of the earth, allowed it to chemically react at the most rapid rate possible, and left it for a billion years, the odds of creating just one functional protein molecule would be one chance in a 10 with 60 zeros after it. Now, not everybody here is, I I know, into math, but I want to tell you, those are long odds. Biochemist Michael Behe of Lehigh University put it another way. The probability of linking together just 100 amino acids to create one protein molecule by chance would be the same as a blindfolded man finding one marked grain of sand somewhere in the vastness of the Sahara Desert and doing it not just once, but three different times. One grain of sand out of all the sand in the Sahara Desert. Or Sir Frederick Hoyle put it this way, the likelihood of forming one protein molecule by chance 
is about as likely as a tornado whirling through a junkyard and accidentally assembling a fully functional Boeing 747. I can understand that. See, here's the thing to me that's important of this. Random chance, which is the foundation, if you will, of atheistic evolution, just doesn't seem reasonable. And, and every other purely evolutionary method suggested so far has failed to adequately explain the origin of life. Evolution's presupposition about the origin of life has all kinds of problems. A third problem is its inability to explain the complexity of life. Darwin himself admitted that if it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, then my theory would absolutely break down. And yet it turns out that living cells are in fact more complicated, more complex than Darwin even imagined. Doctor, again, Dr. Walter Bradley says each cell in the human body contains more information than in all... Now, some of you, trust me, you, you might have to go look, look this up. In all 30 volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Some of us remember those books. They were about this thick, about this big, like this, and they had very tiny type. That was an encyclopedia. And so, if you haven't ever held one... This is one of the more dense ones. It has more stuff in it than most. And he's saying that each cell in our body has more information in it than the entire... My guess is you could probably say all the information in Wikipedia. In fact, what this amazing complexity points to, many scientists are now admitting, is the evidence of intelligent design. For instance, let's say this morning you still receive a newspaper. You went out and you picked up your newspaper, and the fact that 26 letters of the English alphabet were combined in thousands of combinations among billions of possible combinations to create a recognizable pattern that you could read would lead you to conclude that this, this thing was designed. This newspaper did not show up this morning on my sidewalk by random chance. And the fact that I can read it is significant. William Paley suggested this idea in 1802 using the analogy of the watch and watchmaker. He said if a person found a watch lying on the ground, would we immediately assume that it had simply assembled itself out of random chance, or in fact, would we believe that there was somewhere, somehow, a designer behind its creation? And if designed, a designer, which means there can't be a strictly naturalistic approach to evolution that depends on random chance. Even, even those who have posited the Big Bang theory of, of, of the beginning, the origins of existence, have, have created problems for evolutionists because it implies something or someone created or caused a universe to spring from nothingness into existence. And, and science cannot account for an eternal system solely on its own. And so a lot of scientists, in fact, I was reading this week, there are scientists who have been trying to come up with all kinds of theories about how could existence begin before the Big Bang, and it still keeps coming back to that there still has to be a beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The point of all this is to show that evolution, though it's, it's often accepted widely for the explanation of life, has some huge problems. In fact, one person said, if evolution is true, how come mothers still have only two hands? And see, here's the thing. Not, not the least among evolution's problems is a philosophy of science for which it, many automatically exclude the consideration of, of divine action at work. That if it cannot be empirically measured, it must not be so. And so often the whole discussion gets pushed aside as religion when in fact it's a lot more than that. And here's the thing. Why does it matter? Why does it matter whether we were created or evolved? Well, prominent evolutionist himself, William Provine of Cornell University, candidly conceded that if Darwinism, it's the word he used, naturalistic evolution, is true, then there are five inescapable implications. First, there is no evidence for God. And let me just add something right there. It is not scientifically possible to prove evidence for or against God. By the very nature or definition of who God is, it can't. So there's a real issue there. Next, that there is no life after death. Because life after death is always contingent on supernatural. There's no absolute foundation for right and wrong. This is hugely important. What is it that gives us our foundation to know what is right, what is wrong? If you eliminate a, an objective standard, which we believe comes to us through God, that says that there are some things that are right and some things that are wrong, then you end up ultimately with building only consensus as to what is right or wrong, and therefore your truth may be your truth, your truth may be yours, and we don't have to agree on the same thing. And therefore, it is possible to rationalize all kinds of aberrant behavior, actions, whatever the case may be, because ultimately there is no foundation for right or wrong. Atheism struggles with this of finding a legitimate foundation for morality, which all virtually all agree is important. And finally, people then don't, uh, not finally, then there's no ultimate meaning for life because if you and I are randomly assembled molecules, then I'm just here. I don't have a purpose outside of reproducing, passing on my DNA. There's no, there's no, Bigger picture, there's no purpose in life. And finally, people don't really have free will. If we simply evolved by random chance, then all of life is chance. And what you do the rest of this morning doesn't matter. Being here is irrelevant it has no function or purpose. If there is no God, there is no creation. There are no foundations for morality or justice. And so we're free, ultimately. And there are some who are in culture today trying to push the boundaries, free to do whatever we want because there is no inherent standard. Against that, let me just affirm we believe 
that all of existence was created and that you and I are no accident. You're not a a random collection of molecules that somehow at some point in history assembled itself in a pool of slime. You were designed by God. And in fact, you were individually and personally designed by God. We would argue clearly. And there are so many different ways that that just in our physicality that that becomes obvious and also in our life and purpose, that becomes even more clear. He has a plan for you. And this, this God is not an impersonal God or a distant God, um, but the God who became known to us, who became one of us in Jesus Christ. A God who is in, instinctively interested in your life, my life, Every one of us. In in fact, he is instinctively interested in the lives of atheists who don't care about him. He is seeking and wooing all of creation back to himself. And though I haven't figured out all the details, I, I will tell you that in looking at the information, God certainly could have worked through any of those three creation methods, um, What does become abundantly clear is wherever one lands, it is fundamentally important to recognize you and I were created. The Bible says God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. It was his design, his intention. And as God, as Genesis reminds us, not just created, but created in the image of God, that there are parts of our being and our attributes that align with who God is that he intended for us to experience and have. King David, in wrestling with this, wrote, I praise you because you made me in an amazing and wonderful way. What you have done is wonderful. I know this very well. And he went on to wonder in Psalm 8. He wrote, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. The Bible is saying that about you. The doctrine of creation reminds us that you are a special creation of God's, incredibly, fearfully, wonderfully made with meaning and purpose. There's not a life in this room that God doesn't have an intention for you, that he doesn't want you in his church, that he doesn't want you serving, that he doesn't want you sharing your story with others. Not a one of us. God created you. He loves you. And the ultimate proof is that he sent his son to die for you and me on the cross as proof. And I will tell you that to this day, no one has ever disproved the resurrection. There are some things in this existence 
They go beyond basic molecules and, and empirical data. There is a God. And if you're interested in digging more, I, I created um, a, uh, on our website in the, find, under the Find Me category, as seen today, you can look at it, I, I created a document of, of dozens of websites that they don't all agree with each other. I'll just tell you that right up front. But they all start from the basis that God created. And they demonstrate why that matters. That, that and other whole areas of apologetics that we've talked about in previous weeks that we'll continue talking about. Also a resource put out by the National Association of Evangelicals called When God and Science Meets. Uh, is a, about a 70-page PDF booklet put out by them just in the last week and a half. Um, and, and it is also there that you can download for free on our website to just give you the opportunity to do your own searching, your own looking. But it's been so interesting to me that over time, whether it's C.S. Lewis or it's Josh McDowell or it's Lee Strobel or many others, a- Anton Flew, philosophers, scientists, uh, attorneys, regular folks, when people legitimately seek to discover whether or not there is a God, what they continually come back is, while they're, I, I can't prove 100%, there is no 100% proof of God. The evidence is so overwhelming that it takes, as one person said, it takes more evidence not to believe than to believe. You've got to decide that for yourself. You have to look. But God is giving you, us, many opportunities to do that. And I think if you do, you will discover that it is reasonable to believe. And in fact, it has huge implications for you personally, for your life, that your life matters. God created you. You want to talk with somebody about that? Our team, our prayer team will be down here in just a moment. But would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you. We confess that there's so much we don't understand. And, and by very nature of being created beings versus the creator, there are some things we may never understand. But we do trust you in what you teach us. And we believe that at its core, the truth that you created us You created us. You envisioned us and brought us into existence. It means that our lives matter. They have purpose. That we can make a difference. That you are with us, that you love us, and that your son died for us as proof of the fundamental value you place on each one of us as your children. So, Father, help us to seek you. And where there are questions, Father, as there always are, May we put faith over question so that ultimately we trust you, but we believe you and we walk with you the rest of our days. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. See you next time. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.